Hey, everybody, and welcome to EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. Each episode, we bring you insights, techniques, and strategies rooted in research that you can put into practice in your classroom right away. I'm your host, Rachel Logan. Hey, soulmates. Today, I am joined by two wonderful women in the field. Uh, First, we are going to be chatting with Jackie Brickman, co-founder of The Catalyst Approach, and also Lisa Warden from Sourcewell coming back. She is our specialist in social and emotional learning and trauma-informed care. So thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us, soulmates. (laughs) See, we... (laughs) It's soul work in education. And so we get it, right? Person to person, soulmates in education. All right. So um, we are focusing on student-centered discipline today. And I would encourage you to check out more information on our webpage on both of our guests. And we're going to hear a little bit more about their your respective roles connected to our topic. Um, but You're both also former classroom teachers, and I'm sure at some point in time you've been engaged in some form of classroom discipline strategies. (laughs) Um, So if we think about our topic, student-centered discipline, let's just start with um, what makes you personally connected to this topic or this work or kind of what is your why around wanting to continue to engage in Um, strategies, work, um, coaching, training around this topic. Jackie, you want to go first? Sure. Well, the Catalyst Approach is a set of not only courses, but implementation supports that I developed with um, my creative partner, Nancy Burns. And the two of us feel an immense responsibility and passion to look for things in not just classrooms, but schools in general, that create patterns of frustration, confusion, and inequity. Mm -hmm. And we feel responsible to figure out ways to help disrupt those patterns. And that is especially true for children who tend to be the most marginalized, most misunderstood, most misrepresented, and most micromanaged. Mm -hmm. And when you think of discipline, figuring out ways to really flip the focus from compliance to connection, And Mm -hmm. personally, like just my own experiences as a teacher and looking back in ways that I prioritize compliance over connection and see Mm -hmm. like when that didn't work and what damage that Mm -hmm. can do Mm -hmm. to kids. And then when I was able to prioritize connection over compliance and how that positively impacts students, especially in your work around trauma and Mm -hmm. helping other people be able to do that same thing for children. Nice. Thanks, Jackie. How about Lisa? Gosh, it's hard to hard to um, say any more than that because I'm over here mm-hmm-ing everything. Um, <laughs> for, my personal why is that, you know, when it came to like discipline or consequences, it always, I was always going to ask myself the question of, I did I do enough to support that student in knowing what might have been a different way of being, you know, or like in, in a strategy or in um, something that would be considered more appropriate or that, you know, did I do enough to support them and help them? Um, and so when I say like, 
do I support them enough to, you know, have them act in a way that's appropriate? Like we know that's a subjective term still too, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe something that wouldn't be self-sabotaging or harmful to their own progress and their own self and their own health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard both of you say that there's been maybe been some unlearning and relearning and shifting. (laughs) And I think sometimes we have the tendency to, especially if we're listening to really intelligent, um, successful people share strategies, we start to clam up and think like, oh my gosh, I've been doing it wrong forever. So I just think it's really, I appreciate the vulnerability that both of you just right out of the gate or shared about, um, you know, maybe looking back and thinking about how, oh, there had to be some shift and some changing. And Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, so not to be embarrassed about that if we feel like, um, Maybe I hear something today where I'm like, gosh, that's what I'm doing. That's okay. Like, no better, do better. That's mm-hmm. what we're all about learning and growing here. So mm-hmm. um, is it, you've shared a little bit about some of the why connected to the catalyst approach, Jackie, but is there any kind of like crash course or um, information about, you know, strategies specific to what you do in your role and in your work connected to student-centered discipline that you want to add? Our mission and vision are aligned with helping every person who interacts Mm -hmm. with children feel responsible and empowered to lead in a way that children will be surrounded by people who understand, nurture, inspire, and support them. And when I say child, we mean anyone birth to 21. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I have a 21-year-old and Mm -hmm. love him to death. Fits into the category. You know, when you think of like, just like some people get this idea of like, oh, teach kids how school works or should work or we can get we can talk about that later whether we agree if it should work or not um and then like once they're older like maybe high school or college like then we switch from teaching the child to teaching the curriculum like some people even get sensitive about calling children but like you know students with that sends a different message. Like when you think of students you think of someone sitting and learning when you think of child you think of like everything about them Hmm. I've been using young people a lot. There was a training I took where they're like, well, you shifted to young people. And I'm like, oh, and I find that often works. It's also gender nonspecific. Totally buying that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our work kind of focuses around supporting them in building knowledge and skills, right? And strategies, but also working with adults to recognize their own behaviors and biases and feelings in that place. So both of you mostly work directly with the adults in the situ mm-hmm. or in the situation <laughs> the adults <laughs> in the room mm-hmm. um and so your actions or decisions are around you know how do we empower i heard adults who are then working with um children young people students um so sometimes i'll hear um this kind of sentiment or this idea about like, well, we need to hold kids accountable um, or, you know, something needs to happen to that kid um, where it, it might be educators, but it's sometimes parents or community members or anyone who, you know, catches wind of maybe something that's that's gone on in the school. They want some sort of punitive discipline or some kind of an action. Um, how do you communicate ideas or share ideas around, you know, the the approach that you are training and 
teaching folks to use um, that may be just unfamiliar with a more, I'll say, non-traditional approach or kind of don't get it or maybe haven't had the opportunity to hear another way? How do you how do you address that? Well, I think people do what they know. So like when I think of when I, I want to be a teacher since I was in the third grade. Mm-hmm. So like I started keeping like notes of like, I know it's really corny. No, I should <laughs> like do, what? I like, oh, I'm going to do that when I'm a teacher as <laughs> if 20 some years from then the same things would be. <laughs> you would keep in, notes on the things that you saw your educators do that you wanted to replicate uh-huh. or just, not do or not. Oh, no. Yeah. So this idea of yeah. like disrupting started from a very young, nice. nice young age. Like there's a good. Was it on a friend. T-shirt though? The it's not on a T-shirt. No. Oh, dang it! Sorry, <laughs> I don't even know where it is. I just remember like writing it down. Mm-hmm. Like there was um, a good friend of mine that I'm still friends with him now, and in third grade we were in the same class, and our teacher had a really like punitive system in terms of like there was a place the kid sat when you weren't mm. complying. Pretty much, and it it had a name, the Doolittle Desk. So when you oh, did little, you mm-hmm. sat. I mean, this is, I'm a little older, so this was a while ago. This person is not even around anymore. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like that same teacher is the reason I wanted to be a teacher mm-hmm. because his actions didn't always coincide with both what he said and his other. Hmm actions and there are lots of times where i think like how i was as a, i'm a parent or how i was as a teacher like oh, i am never going to do that when i'm blank and then you'll find yourself doing the mm-hmm. same things that you promised you were never mm-hmm. going to do because it's just wired in us like, it is. It's, it's happened it's, it's the pathways in our brain yeah That's, yeah and they're and hard so, to rewire there's not only that idea of what we experienced as children in a classroom what we experienced like being raised by our families mm-hmm. But then also, like, what we're sold when I'm a, when you're a teacher, mm. like, even the best intended situations, there is just idea if you have just this well-planned lesson and you establish relationship, like, whatever the heck that means right. from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Did you make a relationship? You're right. Oh, then, then you're, you're like, okay. Then, like, you'll be <laughs> fine in that. The be all the end all. And then there's also such a focus on like this idea of holding kids accountable and that it's the kid that's broken and needs to be fixed. Like mm-hmm. instead of like what are we what can we do differently? So like before we started recording, you know, Lisa and I were talking about behavior charts and reward systems and all of that runs under the assumption that motivation is what's lacking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not that there might be some neurological reason, there might not be some trauma, there might not be cultural differences, like all these things. Yeah. And it's just like motivation. And when you stick with the idea that the kid isn't trying hard enough, like not only is that harmful practice mm-hmm. for the child, but it takes away all efficacy of the adult and it creates a culture of shame, both yeah. shaming a child for their brain being wired differently. They're, you know, not caring. Yes. Not mm-hmm. wanting to learn, mm-hmm. being lazy. Mm-hmm. And then it creates shame for the teacher because you can't ever figure out the right sticker chart, mm-hmm. the right reward on Friday because it's not typically the problem. It's yeah. not really motivation. And so sometimes we don't trust ourselves. So, like mm-hmm. with behavior charts, every single teacher who has had a kid on a behavior chart has seen that there are times when marking not mm-hmm. the not smiley face or the three or the five or the mm-hmm. green or whatever you want to mark 
is the thing that dysregulates the child. Right. Yeah. Yep. And so, like, we know intuitively, yep. like, we're actually doing something at the moment that's harming a kid. Yeah. But we do it because that's what we're told to do. Or, like, when we were mm-hmm. in school, like, they said, do a behavior chart. Because yeah. there's some study that, yeah. like, temporarily changed and behavior. But it's, like, used so widely instead yeah. of, like... And you said, like, right, you might need to track data, right? You might need to do that, but, like, the student doesn't need to see it. And I'm thinking about even when that is, like, up on the board. And That's what I was going to say. You're not even talking about public shaming. I'm talking about private shaming. You're just talking about one-to-one private shaming. Because in some ways, private shaming is just as harmful, if not more. Like, if someone Mm. I care about spends their private time with me to tell me I'm not good enough and not trying hard enough when... You have no idea, like, how many times I might have tried to use a strategy in the 47-minute class period. Because mm-hmm. all you see is the time that I didn't. Yeah. And people see what they look for. Right. Yep. Like, everyone who's ever gotten a new car, whether it's new or newish. Yeah. Like, as soon as you purchase that car, they're everywhere. Yeah. And it's not that the day after you bought the car that all of a sudden there's more, but that's what you're looking for. Yep. It's the reticular activation system. I was yes. going to say, Lisa taught me yeah. the fancy word for that. <laughs> now now I have a fancy word for it. Or the Raz. Raz McKinnon calls it the Raz. Yes. The car thing yeah, is what I call thing. it. Yeah. But, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you know, you're. Um, so if you're looking for kids thank you. to be wrong, you will see certain kids being wrong mm-hmm. and some kids get to be quote unquote wrong and other kids don't because yeah. there are groups of children that are marginalized, misunderstood, misrepresented and micromanaged for the same behaviors that is developmentally appropriate for someone else sure. to do. Mm, yes. I'm, it, it, that's just reminding me of I, um, the study that was done where they were asking a group of educators to watch for behaviors in students, but then they were yes. actually watching the eyes to see who they were yes. tracking. Yes. And I believe the, the educators were tracking black and brown students for more periods of time than they were their white counterparts. So mm-hmm. it wasn't. So, of course, then those students had more. Um, data behind them, but it was actually because of where the the educators' eyes were going. So that Crazy. just made me think of the fact yeah. that you're saying what we're looking for, we will see. And I'm just listening to you talk about this, and it's like it's such. It, it seems like a benign thing, like you said, because I feel like we've just been trained up in these like do a behavior chart move your clip you know yeah. take your folder with the smiley face sticker I, I had students that had a folder that i you know filled out to and watched them melt just like you said if they had a hard time or had a hard day and then when you lay it out as you just did and unpack like what is going on with this behavior and practice it's kind of like why in the world mm-hmm. would we do this to anybody? Not not just kids, but like, why would it, you wouldn't treat anybody that you love and care about like that? Because they see you write it down. They know you're writing stuff down. Yeah. So then they not only probably got some verbal reminders and some redirections and some eye rolling and eye staring before they even got to the point where we're going to write this on your chart. Yeah. Then you have to meet with them and watch them write it down. Then you have to carry this thing to the... I know. You know, we're not talking about be- charting behavior like the actual like chart that kids carry around. Then they bring it to the next teacher, and now they're reminded of what happened at eight o'clock that morning because mm-hmm. they know this teacher who maybe mm-hmm. was going to give them a fresh start. Mm-hmm. But now they're still thinking like, and sometimes if I that- really adore Lisa and feel safe with her, now I know Lisa knows I wasn't successful, and that mm-hmm. is embarrassing and shameful. Yeah. yeah. 
So like we relive it all day long. Then we often have to bring it home and have our family sign it. Yes, Uh, it goes home. And so then families don't know what to do because they want to support school. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise to them. Mm -hmm. And we have these practices and education that around behavior we tell ourselves are ethical. That around other disabilities and other situations, we would not say the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the analogy we use in training a lot is, Rachel, if you had a visual impairment, Every single educator would think it's unethical if I tried to put you on a chart to see if that would help you see the board. Right. Oh, thank you. Well, Rachel, it's, just, it's the third day now. I think we're going to try to figure out what's going to motivate you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Then like, okay, I think we're going to have to call home. Then we call home, you know, grandma, whoever answers the phone, like, Rachel's really been having trouble seeing the board. Is there anything you couldn't do to help? Well, they're going to be like, well, obviously she can't see the board. Like, we talked to you about that. But we feel... Not only do we feel like it's ethical, we feel like we should mm. be calling families to tell them continually about how their child is dysregulated at school mm-hmm. as if the family can do something about it, yeah. as if they should do something about it, and as if that means there's something wrong with them. Right. Instead of figuring out what are we doing yeah. to create spaces where kids are dysregulated less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of our work, Nancy and I, is around more... Not only proactive things, because people will stress so much on trying to prevent everything Mm -hmm. from happening. Mm -hmm. So it's both proactive and reactive, but they're all around connection, not around, like, what's the consequence a kid is Mm going to get. Yeah. So -hmm. even if you think of, like, accountability, responsibility, like, oh, you don't have a pencil, you need to be, you know, responsible (laughs) for class. Well. Yeah, that's how it is in the real world. Well, actually, it's not. Right. Yeah. We've had this conversation. Yeah. Like, like if, just I, a pencil? if I come to a meeting and don't have a pen. We're going to dock your paycheck. No one's going to tell me to drive back home and get a pen. Yeah. <laughs> like someone is going to find a pen. But yeah, we do that to kids. Like, well, go to your locker and get it. Yeah. It's real world. It's not actually real world. Yeah. No. And right. if you work in a place like that, that's a whole different problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and what you were saying about. Uh, you know, the families and having families feel this extended shame and blame. Mm. And then it's just making you think, and then we wonder why they don't show up to the family fun night. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like, These families just don't show up for conferences. Right. So. Yeah. Like it, children should not be punished for who they are. Hmm. And that's what we I know. I might preach it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about Lisa? Anything to add when you're thinking about that? Those, um, those statements around accountability, um, and, you know, when people want to see something happen, like something needs to happen to that kid. I, I guess instead of, you know, arguing so much that well, something is happening, um, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, um, I, I, I almost go to this place where I, like, let's look at like how, how well that works, like. And who is it working for? Right. Who's it working for? And, 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 and when those kinds of, like, how effective have those things that need to happen, those consequences, those suspensions, those, how effective are they in changing behavior? First of all, do, does it behavior need to be changed in the first place or do we need to broaden our lens? But if it does need to be changed, how effective, um, is a suspension in getting a kid to not swear at a teacher? Does that kid come back and be like, oh, I'm never going to swear at a teacher again. I got kicked out of class. That well, and, usually if they, not. and if they do, like if that does change, like let's say sometimes it sure. might, like yep. 
Well, then it's like fear-based. Yeah. Like I'm doing it out of I'm compliance. I'm afraid of this consequence, not that I understand the effects that has on, on my, you. my people, you know, the people around me, my peers and yeah, things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah. How, how's it working for you is, is what I would kind of stick to, too, you know? And how's it working for them? Like looking, yeah. sometimes I think adults just under times of stress, we think about how the effects on, on me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, this is not a school related example, but I was, it's making me think literally last night, it, kids came home from Cub Scouts and it was like, we forgot to practice piano and, you know, bedtime got pushed way back. And so I was going to skip reading. And um, my seven-year-old says, well, but when you read right before head it, Right before bed, it helps me settle my brain and sleep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right away, I wanted to be like, well, no, <laughs> I'm tired and go to bed. Maybe you should brush your teeth faster. You know, <laughs> if you want your brain settled, you yes, should yeah, hurry yeah. up and get your stuff done. <laughs> exactly. You should have practiced before Cobb Scouts. No, but um, I was completely defaulting to the what works for the adults, yeah. what works for me. And I had to stop myself and I was like, okay, here I have a child self-advocating Mm-hmm. He knows enough to understand what he needs um, and what works, and he's asking for it. And so I, I just back to your statement about I just too often I feel like we dismiss or um, don't respect based on someone's age, you know, yes. that they, they don't know themselves well mm-hmm. enough to mm-hmm. ask for what they need or, um, you know, back to that whole idea of behaviors, communication, like yeah. something is being communicated. Mm-hmm. Can we as the adults take the time to put our own stuff aside? Like I was tired. I didn't feel like reading in that moment, but then what message am I sending my child when, you know, is he going to ask for that again? You know? Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. I think the same kinds of things show up in the classroom as well. Um, when you do have students communicating, are we tuned in enough to yep. really listen? Well, what's behind that? And when we have predictable gaps in, in those consequences or those discipline things, when there's predictable gaps, it's not working. You know, when we can say, we're going to see a gap of who's getting what punishments and how. I mean, that's very predictable. We know it happens. And yet, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it means it's another sign it's not working. Yeah. Right. So we've talked a lot about things that are problematic or things that we want to avoid. Um, let's shift into the so then what, you know, because we might uh, you might be feeling like, gosh, th- these are this is all I got in my toolbox. <laughs> this is what they told me to do. Maybe it's not working for me, but I don't know another way. Um, what what should we be doing? What's a, a, a more holistic approach or a more student-centered approach? What honors the, the child in the classroom from the adult perspective? What can we be doing differently? I think about student voice and having input um, and some kind of control in their day. Um, it, it's going to empower them and, and, and build resilience in themselves when they have a voice and our choice and some kind of control. And so um, you would see student input, you would see it at a planning level and a like a district and school level, but also um, their voice is being heard and respected. Like you said, like just because you're seven doesn't mean you don't know that about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that we would be giving kind of credit, you know, having a lot of student voice um, and welcoming that in. If you come to school not knowing how to regulate or handle your frustration, or we can be 
teaching those skills too. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. then what do we do with this? And and I, and I know connections and relationships matter because it's hard to have a conversation, you know, with a student and say, let's try this regulation strategy or feeling this way if that's not a safe and comfortable conversation, right? It's it's kind of a a, f- a whole picture thing of, of all of the student too and all of the young people. Um, but yes, like there's not a one, this is the good thing, right? Mm. It's about kind of being able to see and judge what the need is. But that regulation and relationships and that student voice, I I think those are things we can be doing and they would take a lot less time than all the redirection that we spend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Adding things. on to what you said about regulation is we know a dysregulated adult cannot help regulate yep. a child. Mm-hmm. And so what are the things educators can put in place that help them stay regulated throughout the day because teaching and education in general whether you're a paraeducator, you work in the cafeteria, you're the custodian at the school, you're running the school as the principal, it is a hard job. It's exhausting. And it is true that every year it feels like we're asking educators to do more, more and more or different. And there's also this old school idea that sticks around that getting coaching and getting help and getting support means you're in trouble. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> and. Education is a performance-based profession. Like, we are in front of an audience all day long, every day. And in other professions, to become elite, you have coaches. And the higher you get, the actual more coaches you get for the (laughs) less number of people. So, like, if you are a musician and you are, like, you know, someone great like Lizzo or something like you still have coaches yeah and you Mm -hmm. sometimes have a coach where they are their main job is only to coach you Mm -hmm. and you might have a vocal coach you might have a performance coach when you're an athlete you have lots of coaches right and in that world it's seen the higher you get having a personal trainer is like the gold standard but in education when you ask for help that means you're in trouble you've done something wrong right (laughs) or you're not good enough you're not you can't handle it. Teachers will even sometimes say, well, I'm not ready quite yet to have you in the room for coaching. And that is because there is some judgment laid yeah. sometimes on you didn't pull yourself up by these proverbial brute straps and mm. figure it out mm-hmm. yeah. yourself. Yep. And we all figured it out. You better too. <laughs> right. When did we really? <laughs> yeah. Did right. we really figure like, it out? <laughs> how many times have we all, like, if we're not in an open school said or done something like, oh, God, the door was shut on that one. Like, <laughs> nobody heard that. Oh, Not yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And so there, like, when Nancy and I are in classrooms looking for these patterns and our entire team, like, the two of us, we've been in about 50,000 classrooms together, and our team is in about 7,000 classrooms a year. Yes. And while there isn't, like, one single thing that always works for everything, there are some really predictable things that reliably work really well often and what tends to happen is we don't get those things at the habit level and we don't do them all together yeah so we might do like one thing one time and then another Mm -hmm. thing another time but really it's when you put all the things together that make Mm -hmm. the biggest difference Mm -hmm. and for those of us who had some maybe bad habits or we learned some things that we thought was good for kids and then we realize like oh actually that's not so great for me or great 
for them. Mm-hmm. Changing your own practice is mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. There are so many podcasts and TV shows and books you can read on how to eat healthy. Like knowing know how to eat healthy right to do. doesn't change. So um, you all, you know, um, Dr. Clay Cook, he does work with all of you as well. And mm-hmm. I love when he says children cannot benefit from effective practices that aren't implemented. Yeah. And knowing things to do if we aren't doing them. Right. And yep. so in the work that we do, like there are 12 foundational strategies that in these classes over and over and over again, when people have us come in to like watch a particular student, maybe one of the students you were you know, referencing earlier, most of the time there's something that the teacher is not doing that they could do that would reduce the instances from happening. Not to like, you know, there's nothing a teacher is going to magically be able to do that's going to mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. rewire someone's brain mm-hmm. or right. take away a disability. Yeah. Um, but there are some really predictable things that teachers can do to create circumstances where kids who have working memory problems are not having to try to f- retain everything in their brain mm-hmm. and figure it out over and over again and at the same time do high quality work. Mm-hmm. There are things systematically that adults can interact with over and over and over again that send a message to a kid, I believe in you versus I think I can do this better than you. Mm. So in our quest to like help kids be productive, we sometimes even like find adults like opening up their book for them, handing them their pencil. And we might think like we're trying to help them get to the work. But subconsciously what we're saying is I don't even mm-hmm. think you're good enough and smart enough to open a book yeah. right. or pick up your pencil. Like I can do this better than you mm. instead of stepping back and letting kids like, mm. not like, I know there's a big thing, like let them struggle, but like let them feel success. Yeah. So my friend um, Julia, her son had his first day of school yesterday and she mm-hmm. sent me a video and it was him waking up like after he'd already been sleeping to come out and share with her how excited he was that he figured out how to open his milk mm-hmm. at school <laughs> and like these small little <laughs> things. And that's because no one came and took the milk from him when they saw him trying to figure out and open yeah. it yeah. for him. So it isn't like the struggle that makes kids probably it's like doing something on their yeah. own. And I think we forget that kids want to be connected and belong yeah. and feel a sense of purpose and helping their friends. We say, Oh no, you worry about yourself instead of like, <laughs> why can't we help? Right. We send like so many mixed yeah. messages because mm-hmm. there's so much pressure yeah. on educators. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the help thing is reminding me of a bluey episode, but I don't know if anybody watches bluey. <laughs> no <laughs> well, children. No, I'll just I, skip that. Uh, 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 but the whole thing so, is like, what, some of your soulmates, um, my, my, well, soulmates <laughs> out there. If you have small children that watch bluey, you know what I'm talking Rachel about. Would love it's, to speak uh, with you about it's, it. the, it's just watching, like giving them enough time to figure it out on their own. And then the success that comes yep. when they do it independently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that you said, that's making me, Think about how often are we, you know, given a new strategy or maybe we feel um, brave enough to have a coach come in and we try something and maybe I try it for like a week and I'm like, well, that didn't work. (laughs) I'm just going to go right back to what wasn't working before because at least I am comfortable in that kind of failure. (laughs) Not, you know, but just that idea of like recreating habits Mm-hmm. Or doing something long enough to override, um, you know, what that default is takes some time. And sure so, does. I mean, I hear you yeah. saying, too, it's it, or if we're doing it um, sporadically instead of like having intentional strategies work together as one, um, we're not going to get those results. And then 
to quote our friend, Dr. Clay Cook, children aren't going to get the results of Mm -hmm. the strategies they never have um, exposure to. Rachel and I just today were talking about that knowing doing gap, right? Like, um, it was like a reminder to take a breath, you know, and I was like, I don't know, like, I know everybody knows that breathing can, you know, but when we're going to be talking about this trauma or whatever, like, I'm just gonna give this visual reminder to do that. And then like, in my head, I'm like, that's a catalyst strategy, you know, I can put a visual (laughs) cue up there to remind you to do that. And I, I, I just, I have to say that, when I got the catalyst training, um, like just my first exposure to that and those strategies was like, like my, I was like infatuated and super, I'll say mad, so we don't have to push a bleep button or anything, <laughs> um, and kind of mad about uh, about it at the same time because I was, I felt like it, like. I felt like an opportunity to access that before would have kept me in the classroom Mm. um, longer even. Like, I feel like it would have um, helped not, you know, helped me not feel so drained and exhausted at the end of the day. And just a little mad about the fact that, like, I didn't maybe have that opportunity and that so many teachers don't have it. And whether it's Catalyst or whether it's some other Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, strategy or using or framework you're using, Mm -hmm. um, just the opportunity to do that and to practice it. Yeah. And like you said, to be coached, I just, I was, I, 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 yeah, have been really appreciative of it. And it, it comes out everywhere. It comes out everywhere in my work now. Well, and like, well, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> Nancy, thanks you too, even though she's not here. We speak for each other frequently. So I, I can relate. Um, when you brought up like taking like a, a good like cleansing breath or grounding breath Mm -hmm. or whatever like that's the prime example like taking one breath Mm -hmm. is going to help you but if you consistently do it it's going to make a bigger Mm -hmm. difference so Mm -hmm. even the small skill of getting your materials ready like kids are in a turn and talk and then you're about to transition to something else like getting your materials ready thinking about what you're going to say how are you going to say it what technology do you need up if you do that once that one time it's going to make a difference but Mm -hmm. if you do it every single time like that is going to significantly change Mm -hmm. how you interact Mm -hmm. with children and sometimes i think because educators have so many things coming at them at so many different times it can be sometimes hard to see what it could be Mm. that's true and we are teachers are reflective practitioners and there's also this misconception that teachers only reflect when someone else is like sitting there with them, like asking them questions. We all know that is not true. <laughs> or in a journal. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we also are guilt-ridden and shame-ridden. Oh, yeah. So we look back at like uh-huh. blame ourselves. And I, I, I have you know, on social media, there's a few former students I'm connected with. I don't know. And there, there are times I'm like, oh, wow. I remember something. I like sent them a little apology. Like... Yes. They're like, oh, I don't even remember that. I'm like, well, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, re- I remember yeah. like, I, that stands out to me. Like you helped me be a better teacher because I, I didn't agree. stay regulated with you. Yeah. Or I didn't hold firm to what I believed because I was young or because I was new or because I couldn't articulate what I felt like. I remember when I was pregnant with my first child, um, there was a student in my class who had gotten significantly dysregulated and he wasn't trying to hit me. Like it wasn't like 
he looked at me, balled his fist, and well, even if he had done that, he probably wouldn't have been trying to. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was dysregulated, and he did hit me in the stomach. And I just remember these like this feeling of pressure from some of my colleagues. So, well, he needs to be removed from your room, yeah. and th- yes. you need to yeah, like there needs to be accountability, and this happened. To happen to this it and this happens. Yeah, in my gut, like I knew that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And I also know at the same time that these people had the best of intentions because they weren't like out to They were concerned about him. your safety. And like the message it sends to the kids right. and you're pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And what message to send to the district and the union if like kids can like hit the pregnant teacher and nothing happens. Oh, gosh. And yeah. he mm-hmm. almost was removed from my room because like I stayed silent. Mm-hmm. And at the last minute I was like, I found my voice somehow. Uh, and, but hmm. all those times of where, what is the, like, how do you balance what you're hearing, what your gut hmm. says, what we're told is right or wrong, mm-hmm. what we're. God, yeah. I'm just thinking that that's a whole, <laughs> the whole, uh, adult culture in a system it's a whole other podcast it is oh, i'm like yeah. oh my goodness There's it's just another. my brain's just like <laughs> ju- 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 just ch- ticking away thinking about you know that whole other layer too mm-hmm. about um the pressures that are internal pressures mm-hmm. you have external pressures you have things happening in live time right in front of you so and and i would say there's just the opportunity for for a real change and a real um application when you can step away from it for a bit and and really enthrall yourself in that work. Um, I think about former students maybe listening to this podcast and go, I wish she had known all that when, you know, when she was teaching me. Well, listen, my also my own children wish I knew all this when <laughs> sure. I was raising them. So I do too. I know it. And they right? probably wish I'd use it more often. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Because I was like, knowing it shoot, isn't I would still raise my children and screwing up. <laughs> no, but, but I, I feel like, you know, like you said, like there, the, there's not almost time to think about what it could be because there's survival mold and mm-hmm. mode. Did I say mold? Mode. I heard uh, mode. Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> I just coined a new mode. term. Um, there's, they're in that survival mode and just trying to do what needs to be kind of done next mm-hmm. because it is so the, the pressure and the time and the, and the expectations. So, yeah, I, I think in a perfect world we would have um, fewer hours in the classroom for te- you know yeah it, like teachers would be doing more um, have time for the self development and for building new habits and learning new habits and and growing you know and when yeah. teachers get stuck and feel like oh there's nothing I could do for this situation sometimes it's like an undervalue of your own skills like not realizing what a Mm-hmm. difference like you can like make and sometimes it's like over inflation mm-hmm. like i've done everything there is to do i've right. tried everything it's the kid like mm-hmm. yeah you need to come in and mm-hmm. fix remove. them yes remove or fix or right mm-hmm. so we tend to take topics on here that are really large and we could spend <laughs> lots of time talking about um but we like to to leave you with you know some kind of a 
takeaway or a next step or uh, something that you can do with this information. So um, maybe it's something that you are reading or listening to or watching, a recommendation that you want to put out there, or um, like you gave a, a strategy, Jackie, um, earlier about Get ready. getting ready. Yep. And or Lisa, you talked about, you know, those regulating strategies and deep breaths. So if there's one one last thing that you want to leave people with, like if, if you forget all about the other things, uh, take this with you. Um, what do you want to leave with with our educational soulmates? Prioritize connection over compliance. For me personally, I'm going to step away from the system and go like to a personal level of growth. Like, um, to kind of put yourself in spaces or with people or even on your social media feed that vary from your own identity. So um, gender inclusive schools is a, a site you can follow. Um, even Mindshift, um, Relentless Indigenous Women. Um, some of them are edgy, so don't blame me if you see something that offends you. But um, I, it, it helps me to widen my perspective. Um, even, oh, Emily, I can't remember her last name, but she is the um, illustrator of um, With Our Orange Hearts, a new book that's out about the indigenous schools. And so just knowing more about that makes um, my lens bigger for behavior. Nice. Well, thank you both. I'm just, I'm hearing themes of grace um, mm -hmm. for this being able to, you know, cut ourselves uh, some slack as far as not beating ourselves up when we catch ourselves, but then also holding ourselves to kind of a high growth standard to say, okay, how do I take this new learning or how do I unlearn some old habits um, to make sure that I am we're saying student centered, but so are we keeping students and, and children at the center of our decisions and mm -hmm. all of our decisions, mm -hmm. um, including our own behaviors as our adults, as yes. we are, um, like we said, prioritizing those connections yeah. and, and honoring all of the students for who they are and those identities that they bring. So thank you so much for having this chat together. Um, it was really great just to hear insights and, you know, where if people want to find more or learn more, where, where can they find you? At thecatalystapproach.com. And here in this area, they can come right here to SourceWell. Wonderful. <laughs> thank you, Jackie. <laughs> And you can find uh, my information and offerings at um, mn.sourcewell.org. Thank you so much. That's all we have for this episode of EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. If you are loving the show, make sure you share it with a friend. Your personal recommendations are powerful. And if you really love this show, we would love it if you could rate and review us within your preferred podcast app. Your ratings and reviews will help other people discover the show and benefit from these great strategies as well. Check out our show notes for a recap of this episode and a list of resources mentioned or referenced. If you're a social media type, connect with us on Facebook. Search Education Solutions Educators Group and request to join. If you're an e-newsletter type, you should subscribe to our education e-newsletter by emailing us at education at sourcewell-mn.gov. The e-newsletter goes out monthly and includes updates and events for our local educators. Special thanks to our Sourcewell Education Solutions office support team and multimedia for your production support. 
This podcast is brought to you by Sourcewell. Sourcewell is one of nine service cooperatives in Minnesota. We are a self-sustaining government organization that partners with schools, local government, and nonprofits to boost student and community success. Learn more at mn.sourcewell.org.